You're about to embark on another stellar podcast journey brought to you by The Edge of Company, empowering pioneers of Web3 tech and culture. Responsible for other groundbreaking endeavors like the Outer Edge LA Innovation Festival and the Edge of NFT podcast. Find out more at edgeof.xyz, edgeofnft.com, and outeredgela.live. Hi, I am Brad Schneider from Nomad Data, and I am absolutely excited to join you today and delve into the transformative impact that Nomad Data is having on the data landscape and its pivotal role in shaping the future of AI. Together, Let's embark on this thrilling journey into the world of data and AI. Welcome, AI podcast enthusiasts. Join us today, and we'll introduce you to a data scientist with an intriguing habit, eating the same meals every single day. Discover how reading one book as a kid shaped his perspective. He will share insights on his belief on why consuming a wider range of information than you might suspect is the key to life. Fasten your seatbelts for a concise, insightful ride into the world of data science that will leave you with a fresh perspective on data and life. Don't miss it. Welcome aboard the Edge of AI podcast. Snap into your safety belt and prepare to explore the depths of the rapidly expanding AI universe. Each episode is a dispatch featuring hyper-relevant reports from the pilots, pioneers, and passengers aboard the AI rocket ship. We explore the latest use cases and developments in AI, hear from experts building tech, and learn how this disruptive force is transforming industries and society. I'm your host, Ron Levy, and I'll be your captain for today's voyage to the edge of AI. Just like most of you, I've embraced the spirit of exploration and entrepreneurship throughout my life. From starting my own business before graduating high school to traversing the world's most challenging terrains, I've always sought out new frontiers and adventures. I built one of the largest award-winning custom home companies in Los Angeles. And most recently, I've navigated complex regulations while founding and leading a public company that is dedicated to applying technology and training. Buckle up and get ready. Let's tackle uncharted territories in AI today with curiosity as our guiding star. So today's episode features Brad Schneider. He's the founder and CEO of Nomad Data, a platform to make data more discoverable and visible within any organization. And throughout his career, Brad has focused on using external alternative data to improve decision-making and prediction. Prior to Nomad, Brad started, grew, and sold Adaptive Management, which was a data analytics company. Brad also spent more than a decade as a public market investor, investing in technology companies for firms, including Tiger Management and Jericho Capital, where he used external data to improve investment returns. So for segment one, we're going to kick this off a little bit. Nomad is a single AI-powered platform to run your data org and empower every business user to discover and manage data in minutes. Brad, maybe you can tell us about the trajectory of this project and a brief on how it works. Sure. So it's probably not a surprise to anybody that data is becoming the fuel of business, especially as we enter a world that has more and more uncertainty around it. And so you need to enable people to be able to find the data they need to understand the different pieces about the world, understand their business. And prior to Nomad Data, there just was not a good way to do that. People kept trying to solve this data discovery problem with the Yellow Pages model. And that didn't work for the internet, does not work for data. The main reason being that it's very hard to compress a multi-terabyte data set into a one paragraph description that really captures what is possible with it. And so we built a natural language processing powered data search engine is the right way to think about it, where a user can literally describe in plain language, I need data on wine sales volumes in the US going back five years. And then we have a network of almost 2,500 data selling companies around the globe. Those include just regular companies where their main business is something else, as well as many whose core business is selling data. And so that makes data just a a lot more discoverable. And then we have a whole platform as you buy data, it helps keep track of everything that's happened in your firm around it, therefore empowering people to get more out of the data once they do buy it. I mean, talk about a time that's come. We're all afflicted with too much information these days and typically not 
the real information we need. We just have too much information and ciphering through it is near impossible. So you just said you had 2,500 sources of grabs you do on data. And that would be really impressive on its own, but useless if there wasn't a way to manage all that and make it relevant to the user for the exact use that they're looking for. Therein lies the magic. And for me, if anything defines what AI can do and what it can do to create real value for us, that's it. And I don't know if you want to elaborate a little more on anything I said there or make any comments in that direction. Well, AI is all about data. I mean, especially as you talk about cutting edge LLM models, these are language models. Language models are typically operating on textual data. And, and textual data is probably the single largest category of data. Think about all the people filling out forms, typing things into spreadsheets. All of this data is not well structured. So given that LLMs and AI are now really at the forefront, this is sort of the raw data that you feed into these engines to create that structure or to look at the vast hordes of data that you already have and do decision-making at scale. So a lot of these things were just not possible before. And now, I mean, what is possible has changed dramatically in the last six months. And just imagine what the next six and 12 months will bring. And it, you kind of chatted about it in the beginning, but I used to be a technology investor. My job was to look at technology trends understand how they would impact products and companies. I did that for quite a long time, and this is by far the biggest change I've ever seen with my own eyes, but also I'm an avid reader of, of technology history, and it's one of the biggest changes that, that I can remember even reading about. So it's an exciting time to be involved in data and AI. There's no question about it. We've talked about it many times here at Edge of AI, and that is that next month is the first birthday of ChatGPT, which is kind of AI come to the masses, I'll call it. You've obviously been in AI a lot longer than that. Maybe you can kind of back up a little bit and pick out the few bullet points that brought you to creating Nomad. Yeah, the, the real thing that I saw in the past was that most people, they would have a problem and they wanted a certain kind of data that they may or may not know existed to solve that problem. And then there was just no good way to find out if it existed. And we found that once you showed someone look, here's a data set that solves the problem that you mentioned, their eyes would light up and they would go ahead, they would purchase that data, they would build incredible products, they would do amazing analyses based on it, but it just wasn't easy to find. And the problem was that the thing that didn't exist was this descriptive information of, of not only what is the data, but what can the data do? And so we started to collect that and that is all textual. And so the challenge was, how do you look at the text of the person defining the problem and connect it to the text around the answer. And so that was a classic NLP problem. And we started working with much earlier versions of GPT to try to, to solve some of those problems. You know, at the time, it just was not sophisticated enough. And we ended up using things that people are still talking about today, things around word vectorization, text similarity. But fast forward up until the beginning of this year, we've reevaluated everything and are now using GPT-4 to solve a lot of these issues but also to help us create structure out of the data that we're collecting. Because one of the biggest engines uh, in what we do is, is the text. People describe in text what they're looking for. People describe in text their answer to the user's inquiry. And these questions and answers contain an enormous amount of useful information. And modern AI, these LLMs basically allow you to get to that data in a way that you could not before. So when I think of Nomad, I mean, I think of an aggregator, but probably an aggregator on a couple of levels, right? So you're aggregating from, let's just say 2,500 different data sources, but I'm sure it's probably even more than that. But you're aggregating all that into one place. But then what you're doing is you're kind of aggregating the request and doing a translation, I'll call it, into something consumable, which could end up being one paragraph or one sentence or something small from all of that. And that's a use case that if you just went to ChatGPT or some of these other AI services on your own to try and do that, you're just not going to end up there. I mean, this is a niche product that, quite honestly, I believe once it gets out there, it's not a small niche. It's a very, very large niche. And one thing I got out of Nomad is it's not just external data. Data. If you look at a large corporation, a large company, I don't know whether that means from 500 employees to 50,000, or in the case of some of the biggest companies, hundreds of thousands of employees, they have internal data that there's plenty of gold in, but they can't really resource it or get to it. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So there's a few things to break down there. I think the word you used was the right one, which was translation. 
This is a translation problem. You have a set of language that people describe a business problem, a product problem, and you need to translate that into the data domain because data is not described in those terms. And so the heart of the Nomad Engine is collecting that corpus of text of what is the business language to describe this data. And you talk a little bit about, well, ChatGPT doesn't work well for this. We actually just announced this week a product based on GPT-4 that does just that. And we're rolling this out to huge companies. They load in their list of data sets, whether they're internal or external doesn't really matter. And then they expose a chat interface to any employee. And they can say, do we have any information on roof ages in California? And it's going to look through all the different data sets they buy. It's going to look through everything they have. It's going to look through everyone's notes. And it's just going to answer them. It's going to say, yes, you have this internal data set. You purchase these three external data sets. Well, how do I get access to them? Oh, well, here's the person that you would talk to. Well, who worked with it last? You can get it all that information all through natural language. Obviously, we think that this is the future not only for us, but for every product that required 15 clicks to get what you needed. I truly believe all those clicks are going away. Everything is going to be just describe what you need, whether it's taking a picture of something, whether it's talking directly to the system or it's typing in a command. It's an interface people are familiar with. It gets rid of the need for every single person to learn something new. Everyone can learn how to type and ask for what they need. It's really kind of amazing because everybody knows a lot of the big unicorn companies of the last couple of decades made money off of people's data, right? They provided some service that allowed them to collect data on people, and they were able to capitalize on that data alone. And that became the most valuable thing that they had. And a lot of value was created based on that. This is kind of the next level to me that we're going from personal data that is quite honestly, now it's in contention as to what they should be collecting, shouldn't be collecting, what laws are out there, what laws should be out there, different jurisdictions. I mean, if, if they pass something in one country in Europe, that's a problem. Well, that, that tech company out of Silicon Valley that services the whole world now has to reprogram what they do because of one jurisdiction. So it becomes really problematic. So that what I hear that Nomad is really doing is recognizing that the new generation of data is different. It's not your personal data. It's worldwide data. Could be citywide. If you're that roofer you talked about, maybe you want to target every roof that's over 30 or 40 years old and be able to do that. And like that seems incredibly valuable. And I would suggest that most companies don't really realize that getting that level of data in a usable form is available yet. Do I have that right? If, if I had to pinpoint the single largest challenge to the data market, that's it, which is most people do not believe that the data that they are looking for even exists. And so you have people giving up, never connecting with the vendors that have what they need, and that really holds back the data market. I and mean, the only, there's a few mature verticals, let's say, within the data market, you know, one being financial data, and the other being marketing data. I mean, we have, at least in our internal database, over 140 different verticals of data. It's absolutely enormous. And so discovery is a critical piece. I use analogies in other markets. If I think about the app store, before mobile phone app stores existed, you had apps living on all these different websites. You had to search around. You weren't going to find anything. And even if you did, you had to have a PhD to download that app onto your phone. People like Apple, Google come along and they create true discovery. They come up with a standard for payment, for listing. And all of a sudden, the market grew from when I was covering that as an investor, it was a $100 million market. And now it's a multi-hundred billion dollar market. That is what happens when you solve these issues in a market. And the funny thing about data, data is not a hundred million dollar market. It's already tens, if not over a hundred billion dollars. This is an enormous market. It is the largest, most dysfunctional market I have ever seen. That's how important data is. Given the amount of friction, people are still willing to deal with it because this stuff is so important. And you know, with LLMs, it's only becoming increasingly important because a lot of the things that these LLMs do, people built entire companies around coming up with unique technology, unique algorithms. In a lot of cases, this sort of blows up those business models because it can do so many things out of the box where you had custom applications, custom verticals built to solve. So now, you know, a lot of these technology problems shift back to being data problems. If you do not have access to unique data, your business is not going to exist because you will not be able to differentiate because the ability 
of anyone to build the most advanced features has, has catapulted in the last six to 12 months. And that's only going to continue. So the most obvious moat is data. I've got a few questions that have gone through my head as I'm listening to what you're saying, which is really powerful. First is, it was only about 15 years ago that we all used our first app. So try and imagine that where the world is now. That's not a very long time, right? And there's no question that AI is creating the faster and bigger snowball on AI, right? So as you said earlier, it's happening at light speed. Talk to me a little bit about how this new situation with data and access to it is going to affect... I'm looking at large companies, but I'm also looking at entrepreneurs and smaller companies. Is there going to be a bigger, better balance? Are they just going to ride on their own rails, not touching each other? How do you see that dynamic? So there's a couple of different pieces there. So one of the interesting things about what is going on today, typically, small companies tend to move faster, but, but big companies have more trust and they can spend more money on things. And, and usually over time, that does create meaningful competitive advantage. The one interesting thing about LLMs, though, is this idea that you don't have unlimited access to an LLM. If you're using a model like a GBT4, you're using a BARD, you can't make an unlimited number of requests to these services. You're very much being rate limited. And so if you are a large company and you want to launch a really interesting AI GBT4-driven feature, you can't even get access to the volume of calls to do that. Even as a small company, it's a challenge to get enough calls to serve your customer base. So it creates this strange dynamic where larger companies are going to have to wait longer than they normally would have to embrace this new technology. Smaller companies can launch these features because they don't need as much of that service up front. And then over time, as they gain more and more usage, they're going to be able to train their own models using that data. They're going to be able to fine tune their own models ultimately lowering their incremental costs to deliver these services. So it's going to create a situation where younger, smaller companies will have a distinct advantage in being successful here. The other issue around big companies versus small is, at least with people that we're speaking to, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of misunderstanding about these models from a large company perspective, especially when it comes to legal and compliance. There's this belief that all your data is going to disappear. It's going to be used to train other people and you're giving away your IP. And when I dig in and ask questions about, well, what is it you're concerned about? Most people don't even know. They just read an article because the free version of ChatGPT can potentially use your data to train their enormous language model. You know, the likelihood of anything interesting you put in there coming out in that form is extremely low. But because there were some articles written about that, they're so apprehensive to do anything. So it's almost like a double whammy. So one, they're scared of anything AI, and it will take years to figure that out. And by the time they do figure it out, they will be so far behind from a cost perspective because they don't have the usage data that they won't be able to compete. It's a very exciting time to be a small company that can be nimble and can adopt this technology. Man, lesson learned there. Adopt the technology, read plenty, learn all you can, and manage your fear. Just know by taking action and moving forward, you're going to be ahead of a lot of others. And that's great. Can we do a little bit of a screen share and kind of walk us through your product a little bit? Yeah, absolutely here. So I'll show you a few of the pieces that, that we've got here. As I stated, we started out really, whether you want to call it a data marketplace or a data search engine, but it's all textual based. So someone comes in and they literally give a name and a description to the kind of data they're looking for. So here is an example search Someone is looking for wine sales in the U.S. So they want to track specifically high-end wine sold at retail, wholesale, food and beverage across the U.S. Ideally, they want to be able to see which winery and any sort of information on the label. I'm going to interject just for a moment because some of the listeners here will not see the screen share of the video. So what we're looking at is one web page that shows four bullet points on where we're going to end up. This is basic information. So this is page one. And literally... Request name, wine sales in the U.S. Under that, request description, a couple of sentences you just type in, and then you can go from there. So it's pretty straightforward. Go ahead, Brad. And then you'll see this fancy check description button. This was a very light GPT-4 feature we added where we've taught it what a good description, what a good request description looks like. And so it does a very good job giving feedback on that. So if I, for example, wow. were to say, I want wine data. And, and you could be far more descriptive and it would still potentially complain about that. 
So now, now it's going to run checking that box saying checking problems. and it's it's modifying. Yep. So it says your search is too vague. Please type the type of data you're looking for about wine. Are you interested in sales data, production volumes, consumer preferences? Are you looking for information on red wine, white wine, sparkling wine? It does an incredible job improving the quality of data we are getting. That was just not possible before these LLMs. It's fantastic. And that'll save you hiring that three to $400,000 a year prompter that people are hiring these days. <laughs> exactly. And so you can also hide your identity in a search. Maybe the fact that your company is looking for this particular data asset is sensitive and you don't want a large number of people to see that. If there are data companies you already work with, you already know about, you know, let's say there was, this is a made up name. You already spoke with Wine USA. You wanted to skip them. You just put them in there so they won't see this request. Interesting. And this is bullet point two. So we had basic information, then we had providers, and now we're on to requirements. So these are really just filters. And then these are completely optional. But if maybe you needed a certain amount of history, you could put in, for example, I need at least five years of history and I need the data updated weekly. I could put that in to specify to the provider. And then lastly, we have the question section. So the idea here is there may be people that loosely match this, but there's some specific information you'd want those companies to answer. So you'd really know, are they a good fit for, for what I'm looking for? So I might ask, what types of wines can you track? How far back does your data go? And we have people ask very complex things. They might ask, you know, are you HIPAA compliant? Is the data GDPR compliant? Where do you get the data? This is to save the searcher time. And so you put that together, you submit it. It's going to go on your dashboard of requests. So this is going to list all the requests you have in process. So this is like on ChatGPT on that left side, you might find all the different searches you've done. This is my request, very similar, but I'll say much cleaner and easier to deal with. And so at this step, we use some pretty sophisticated AI. So we have a computer look at the description of what you're searching for. We then have it look through the profiles of our 2,500 data vendors including information on what products they sell, how their data has been used in the past, what are example use cases. And it picks the top roughly five to 10, and it actually contacts those companies. And so the AI sends those data requests to companies all around the world that loosely match that criteria. Those companies, a person logs in and looks at the request. And in many cases, they might say, oh, wow, I never thought of that, that before as a use case of our data. But yeah, our data can do that. And so they'll respond to you. You'll get an email. You'll log back into the platform and you will see who got back to you. So you'll see the name of the company. But during this the process, the there was that other button that allowed you to be incognito, I'll call it, right? And be anonymous. Would this still work here and you would be anonymous if you didn't want to be exposed? Yeah. So you could send out these requests anonymously. The data vendors would not know who you were. They would know what we call, there's a vague description of your business. So we're a wine merchant based in the Northeast United States, and they would see the category of company you're in. We're a software company. We're a beverage company, but they wouldn't know who you were. And even if you don't hide your identity, it doesn't say your name. It just says the name of your company. And so you'll get responses and you'll see who they came from. So the name of the person, the name of the company, what does that company do? And that's the sort of information you'd get in a data yellow pages, but really the useful information is their response. So this is a response where they actually read what you were looking for. They may have done some research. They may have talked to their own internal data scientists to say, can we do this? And then they're telling you how they can do it. I'm going to read this out request. loud for people. And it just says response. It says our warehouse management solutions can track the flow of goods in and out of warehouses across the country. Using our proprietary data sets, you can easily see changes in the flow of goods. This will help you see into supply chain delays. This is not for the request we did, but it's the same idea. They answer yep. about their request. They'll answer any questions. And so now you have a short list of companies who actually say they can do what you need. If you ask custom questions, they'll have an even better idea. And then you decide if, if it's actually a firm you want to speak with. And so if it is not, we have a do not proceed button where you give a reason. Maybe data doesn't go far back enough. We had somebody answer that today. So they submit it. The vendor knows why they were rejected. There's also some pre-canned answers. Or the buyer says, yes, I'm interested in being connected with that vendor. And so once that happens, the two are put into a chat. If you chose to be anonymous, it still preserves your anonymity, and it puts the two parties in a direct conversation. It's pretty incredible. You're going from the 
wide world of data all the way down to who can really service your requests and who you really need. And then ultimately you're conversing, there's a chat button, a conversations button, and you're going through all that. It's kind of amazing. So Brad, can you tell me your clientele in general, to whatever degree you're comfortable saying who they are, that's fine. But what size of companies is your main client these days? Is there any particular industry over another? So data is something that serves every industry, but I'd say the the early adopters for this product have been consultancies, whether they're data analytics consultancies, management consultancies, helping people size markets and opportunities. We have a lot of investors. So they are looking at markets to make investments. They're trying to understand dynamics around a company. They're trying to find companies that are behaving in a certain way. And then on the corporate side, the, the heaviest users have been telcos, insurance companies, CPG companies, retailers, traditionally data-heavy businesses. They already understand these problems. And we're starting to see a rise in technology companies needing data to either build products, maybe build a feature. You want a, a weather widget in your product. Well, you need a weather data feed. You're trying to train a visualization model on something. You need a bunch of images of that particular situation. So who has that? We work with a lot of name brand companies to help them find the data. When did you start working on this technology? Did this morph from other things you were working on prior? I know it's a concept it did, but I'm talking about once you started actually coding. Yeah. So the last thing we developed at my previous company was effectively a data list, a data yellow pages for, for vendors. That's what everybody said they wanted. Even today, a lot of people that don't know better say, oh, I just want a big list of data. And so we built a giant list of data, keyword searchable categories, and no one could find anything. Nothing is keyword based. Let's say one data provider describes themselves as having data on home repair, and then somebody searches for data on Home Depot. That doesn't come up. It's not the same word. It's a different word. And so that's sort of the fundamental problem with a keyword search-based system is that you typically don't have the right keywords, and that's why these LLMs are so powerful. So seeing that problem, the first version, the struggle I had was, well, how do you get these keywords? How do you get all this text you would need to know that this data set does that particular thing? And so we didn't touch on it, but in that flow that I just showed you, a user is describing a real-world business problem. They're giving us the language of business. We use algorithms to guess who can solve that. And at the end of the day, then we get the feedback from the data vendor. They say, yes, I can do this. So now we have the language of business around the problem. We have their response in business language as well. And we have that confirmation where they said, yes, we actually have this. That is the key feedback mechanism here. So it's not a static body of knowledge that we have. It's growing every single day with every single search we are learning more about what these data sets can do. And we use that to power a lot of other pieces of the application as well. So you're using AI from your own business sense to analyze everything that comes in, everything gets returned back and bettering your own system the whole way. Yeah, we use AI to make sure we're collecting the right data in the first place. We make sure the AI does a good match. And then what we learn from the match, we use AI to extract. And then we have even heavier features on AI. Like we basically have an internal chatbot where any employee at a company can literally just talk to the thing and say, well, what data do we buy on Indian grocery stores? And it looks through every data set you have, every data set you buy, it uses the knowledge that we have to answer the customer's question. Those are much more complex AI features. It's kind of mind-blowing. And I love going down this rabbit hole a little bit because our listeners have different reasons for listening. And some of this is potentially nomad data to utilize your services and do all that, which we're thrilled about. But the other side of it is just to get a general idea of what AI is capable of and why and how, and then be able to relate it to their own situations, lives, companies, whatever it is. And you just described multiple points of that. And I think that's just really, really valuable information for people to take away. Because let's face it, AI is too big and moving too fast for any of us to absorb all of it. It's just not possible. So I love that you brought all those things out. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And now a brief interlude from today's show so you can get ready to wave your magic wand with Cast Magic. Our team has saved a ton of time and money using Cast Magic for our show, and the potential use cases are boundless for any company creating content. Imagine turning a single recording into a goldmine of engagement for any type of show, webinar, or other type of audio and or video content, whether it's short or long. With Cast Magic, you can save over 20 hours a week. 
No more tedious transcribing or brainstorming social media posts. Cast Magic does it all, generating show notes, summaries, blog posts, and even newsletters in minutes. Think of it as your content alchemist, transforming every audio or video into a treasure trove of valuable content. Want to experience the magic? Get a seven-day trial on us by going to bit.ly forward slash castmagicreferral and join Cast Magic's vibrant Slack community of over a thousand innovators. Don't just create, cast your magic with Cast Magic. We're going to head over to segment two now, which is AI wants to know. So the whole concept here is AI really is a product of curiosity, and we're going to stay curious here. We're going to ask you 10 questions that are designed to uncover the intriguing human mysteries that AI longs to comprehend, but can't quite grasp. It's a snack break in our journey, so keep the answers quick, but the safety belt, it's off. So if it feels right, we can occasionally roam about the cabin, exploring more of who you are and what makes you tick. You ready for it? Do it. What's the first thing you ever remember being proud of? First thing I ever remember being proud of, I guess when I was, I must have been eight or nine. Back then, it wasn't AI, it was computers were the buzz, right? They were going from something the size of a refrigerator to something that you could fit on a large desk. I remember buying my first computer and, and starting to explore. I mean, back then it was very early Apple, like an Apple II, and maybe even earlier than that, maybe it was a Commodore, but the default language was basic. And I remember buying a book to try to speak this foreign language at the time, computer code was just, it looked like science fiction. And I remember buying a book as a little kid reading through it in probably two days, and then being able to do something with that knowledge, right? I mean, it's amazing in general that coding, you could just take what's in your brain and make something. But as a little kid, I mean, you're not really empowered to do anything. And all of a sudden, I was able to build something, something that other people found useful and, and solved the problem. And that was very empowering and, and very exciting. I just love that answer because your resume is amazing. You've worked with some monster companies and both as an investor and within companies, and you've done so much. And I think you just hit on it. You got rid of that barrier. There's always a barrier that a lot of us have. And in the case of the story you just described, the barrier is I'm just a young kid and I'm not capable of and some later point in life I will do, quote unquote, right? You just broke that barrier at a very young age. You said, right, I just need to get a book, apply myself and bang, no doubt the other kids you were around had no idea that that was possible. So just, I think that's a very powerful answer. Not to belabor the point too much, Please. but- the changes in AI feel somewhat similar, right? A lot of applications I would have loved to have built were just out of my reach. I didn't have that skill set. And quite frankly, even if I did, the cost and time was prohibitive. And then all of a sudden, this new thing comes out. I can call an API and just send it a list of instructions. If you've never worked with these LLM APIs, to me, they are mind-blowing. Normally, an API is an algorithm, and it has very structured inputs and a very structured output, and it does something very specific. Whereas with these LLM APIs, you tell it what it does. You say, this is the function you perform. Here's the data you perform it on. Return me this answer. And you can get it to do anything. And that, to me, is I feel that feeling that I felt as a little kid where all of a sudden I'm empowered to do anything. It's incredible. Yeah. And for those newer to the industry, that's where the term generative AI comes from. Because what Brad just described, when it returns you the answer, it's a unique answer. Not all, every time, but it's unique to your prompt, your question. And that's, we've never had that before. It's just sensational. I'm going to go on to question number two now. So what do you need help with that you wish you did not? As an entrepreneur, you are really a generalist. If you came from another industry, you probably developed some skills. So you know, I spent years and years in finance and business analytics and business analysis. And I understand that stuff as well as I can. But you know, then there's areas like marketing, right? How do you make people aware of something where that just wasn't my background? And so that's an area where we're always looking for help. What are the best ways to reach people? What are the best ways to incentivize somebody that now is the time to embrace these technological changes and, and buy these extremely interesting products? That's always an area that I'm, I'm looking to develop. Just as in my last company, I was a software developer, but I'd never really built product for other people before. And that was something I needed a lot of help on. And through that journey, actually became fairly proficient at that. And so it was through getting help from folks and, and working with people much smarter than myself in these areas that I was able to, through osmosis, become somewhat fluent. Love that. 
Number three, what do others often look to you for help with? Uh, a lot of times people look to me for help with just the big picture. I'm an average reader. You know, I read anything from genetics to computer science to history. And one thing I found is if you read a lot about a lot of different things, you start to see that that everything is somewhat connected. And knowledge of biology matters in history sometimes. It matters in computer science. And so by reading such a diverse base, I'm able to see the big picture a lot. I'm able to see how markets are going to unfold, you know, when I combine that with my experience looking at companies. So a lot of people just ask my opinion on those types of things because I've gotten a chance to meet with hundreds and hundreds of companies and I understand the technology and some of the history around a lot of different events. And so I throw my hat in the ring and try to give advice where I can. Time well spent makes a lot of sense. All that reading that you do, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes you don't know exactly what your takeaway is going to be from that endeavor, but it all matters. So we're going to head to number four. What do you treasure most about your human abilities? Well, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about AI being powerful because you can just tell it what the algorithm is. I mean, nothing competes with the human mind in that way. It has an ability to be completely reprogrammed from birth and even through your life to do different things. It is the ultimate generalist machine and its ability to truly understand real generalized intelligence is something that's just incredible. And that's an area where, at least from what I've seen, has not been solved. And there really aren't even well-established approaches to solve the problem of, of generalized artificial intelligence. I'm going to head to number five, which is throughout your whole life, what is the most consistent thing about you? Well, from anyone that's worked with me or lived with me, the most consistent thing is my daily routine. I'm a creature of habit. I eat the same thing every single day. I wear the same thing when I sit at my home office pretty much every single day. So people make fun of me. I have broccoli four meals a day every single day of the year. You've brought consistency to yet another level. So I appreciate that. Well, you know, there's so um, much to worry about. And that's I'd spend as little time on things that I don't need to worry about as possible. Doesn't it go to like Einstein in his 10 blue suits or gray suits or whatever you had, right? All exactly the same, just thin out the decision-making. What has changed most throughout your life? I've been somewhat of a generalist. I mean, I've been experts at a lot of just very different areas. I mean, I started out as a computer scientist. I did my undergrad at, at MIT, electrical engineering and computer science. And that's what I did. And I was building databases and writing SQL queries. And then the next minute, I'm working at a long horizon focused investment firm, which was a completely different job. It had very little to do with the databases and SQL and everything to do with understanding people and understanding how to encourage them to help you understand the big picture. That was an amazing experience. And then I switched sort of roles within investing. And then, then I was an entrepreneur. And then I was an entrepreneur again in a slightly different area. So my journey has been sort of in some ways all over the place because these are not typically jobs that one person has. Usually most people aren't a computer scientist, developer, and an investor. Those are two things that you don't normally find together. But at the same time, the thing guiding me has all been around adding structure. Data at the end of the day is structure. And I, I try to create structure in any situation I get into, no matter how chaotic well, that's connected to your daily routines being structured as well, right? So it's just the way your brain thinks. Life is an adventure if you let it be, and you've made it be. So I think it's fantastic. What do you find strangest about reality? I guess one of the things, I don't know if it's strange, but it's, guess what perspective you look at it, but people's decision-making. I've found that collectively, humanity doesn't really pass on a lot of knowledge of, of anything that's happened before to the next generation. It's especially frustrating when you read about history and you see the same mistakes, the same patterns of evil and mistakes being made over and over again. I meet with companies all the time that have an idea to start, which failed 50,000 times already, and they all fail for the same reason, because nobody knows that. And so it's crazy that we haven't come up with a better solution to this knowledge transfer problem, right? School, the way it's structured... It teaches you basic skills, but it doesn't teach you historical context for anything. And so people are just doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over again, even in, even like in a technology vertical, figuring out who made the same mistakes you made. It's all so random. You're lucky enough to speak to the right person that can give you that knowledge. And not that we're solving the world's problems, but in data, 
that's a problem that we went after, right? We saw that people, even in the same company with the same data set, they would make the same mistake over and over and over again because they didn't know anyone else had already solved it. And so part of our, as we call it, data relationship manager is about capturing that knowledge. But there's so many places with humanity where knowledge is just not being captured. It's not being transferred. And maybe artificial intelligence is the thing that captures it. Because I will say, even over the last week, I'll go to ChatGPT and ask it about the historical context of something. And it has access to all the knowledge in the world. And it can tell me anytime a certain type of event has happened. And so maybe that's the way we get over this. Maybe we've already solved the first big piece of it. I don't know. So that surprises me that we haven't really made much progress on that today. It's interesting. I was going to use contradicted. I don't know if that's correct or not. I was going to say you contradicted yourself because in the beginning you made a comment about the lessons of history not moving forward. But in the end, I think more accurately, it's the lessons of the next generation or generations not looking to history. The information is there and certainly it takes effort depending on which generation you're talking about and AI versus 50 years ago, right? So as to how much time it would take, but it is all there. But try and dissuade an 18-year-old from his great ideas because you're double or triple that age and you're trying to give him a lesson. They typically have to learn it themselves. So it's kind of fascinating. And maybe there's something here with AI to fix that. And if we fix that and stop repeating all these problems that you really described very well, maybe it is part of the solution. So I kind of... Yeah, it's a piece of it. I mean, there's two kinds of knowledge, right? There's the factual knowledge. And then for lack of a better term, there's the muscle memory, right? If you have read about a situation, and then you find yourself in that situation for the first time, you're probably not going to be able to navigate your way out of it. Um, I mean, you'll have some pointers, but after you've gone through it, right, you can read a million entrepreneurial books. When you're actually an entrepreneur and these things are happening, it's a different kind of memory that you develop. And then that, I don't know, a good way to transfer, you know, maybe it's the metaverse. I, I don't know. Maybe it's downloading things directly to your brain. I don't know. Well, I can tell you this, I didn't come up with this, but I heard it and I think it's powerful. When we relied on Google over the last couple of decades, we know everything, but knowing and learning are two different things. And it's the learning part that's been missing. So we could do another hour on this. I find it fascinating anyway, but we're going to head to number eight. When most recently do you remember feeling alive? I will say I'm an engineer by heart. And so building things excites me. And we just released this new chat GPT for data product. The product is exciting. I don't want to focus purely on that, but we're using GPT-4 in a way that I had never imagined before, which is actually having it write computer code. And then we allow it to execute that code in a safe environment. And watching the computer understand the problem and watch it try to solve it, that was just incredible. I mean, that to me was one of those light bulb moments that, wow, the world has really changed. The way that we do so many things is about to change so dramatically. And I was in awe, terrified, excited. It was a lot of emotion. All right, number nine, what is your most unique trait? It's probably, again, the diversity of experience and then the ability to look at things from a lot of different angles. And, you know, like most engineers, maybe a little bit lower on the empathy scale than some people. And so I can sort of take a step back from the emotions of things. And running a early stage company is a very emotional thing. People get very excited, very angry, very worried. And so my ability to sort of put a couple different hats on and emotionally take myself out of that is somewhat unique. It is somewhat unique. And it's also very important. This is number 10. If you weren't human, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I find the question a little bit funny, but have fun with it. If you weren't human, what would you be? What would I be? So it could be something alive, just not human. No restrictions on your answer. I'd love to be an autonomous spaceship traveling the universe for all time to see everything that we don't know, which is so much. Wow. That's that curious side of you. So I'm going to throw in one last bonus question, and I'm actually looking forward to asking you this specifically because, Brad, what you've shown us is you're a really deep thinker and you're in action. And those things combined have built Nomad. And I don't know, I'm just very impressed with you. So the thing that's in the news a lot and on people's minds is AI and our future, right? What are the dangers of AI moving forward that we need to be cautionary about? And maybe even if you delve into the steps we should take to be on the path of enacting some caution. 
So AI is such a broad space. So there's a lot of ways to approach this problem. A lot of people are worried about this idea of artificial general intelligence, where a computer is going to somehow take over the world. Could that happen? Sure. I mean, from what I've seen in AI, where we are nowhere near an artificial general intelligence. So that's not a today problem in my mind. It's probably not a tomorrow problem. It's way down the road problem, but it's one we should start thinking about. The thing I worry about more is just the evil actors of the world using this in ways that are going to be challenging, right? When I was at MIT, I took a class on, it was basically a hacking class. It was an information security class at the end of the day, but a lot of it was hacking into things to know how to prevent people from hacking into things. And social engineering is, still remains one of the easiest ways to get at things, right? You call up a person at a company, you pretend to be somebody else, you send them an email. And the problem is a lot of the attackers just didn't have the sophistication in the domain they were trying to hack into. They, they couldn't articulate it in the way someone that worked in a company, in a certain voice, in a certain accent. All of that is going to be fakeable today. So that, to me, is terrifying. Protecting any sort of information security system is going to be beyond complicated. Protecting my own parents from having their credit card number stolen once a month is a big challenge. And then you think about all the fake pictures we can make, all the fake newsreels we'll be able to make. It's going to be really hard to discern what on earth is actually happening, who to trust. It's going to be a messy, messy world. Brad, I'm going to direct you to Edge of AI and look at some of our prior podcasts we've done. And I found it incredibly fascinating because we have had companies that have specialized in, for instance, voice AI recognition. So it's all about deep fakes and preventing from and being able to put a rating system in place so you know the chances of it being fake. Because I've had my voice deep faked and I can't tell the difference, right? <laughs> so these are AI systems that actually... I'll call them the white hats. They actually can show you what's real, what's not. We've also had another company that does the videos and still images as well. They'll give you that percentage of probability that they're a fake. And they'll also highlight where on that image or that video, it looks like it is a fake. So these threats that are in some part there because of AI, hopefully will also help be solved by AI. It's just a fascinating world we've got right now. Indeed. The yep. ultimate cat and mouse game. That's right. Well, let's go to the resources a little bit. As you said, you read a lot. You listen to a lot of things trying to stay up on the industry. So any hints you've got for the audience, any podcasts they might go to, any books they might want to read, or any resource whatsoever that's helped you that might help them? Yeah. So one, one book, as this, lack of a better word, revolution occurred over the past year in AI, I wanted to really understand sort of where we were and have a little bit more historical context. And so I read a book called The Myth of Artificial Intelligence by Eric Larson, which I found fascinating. It helped me understand a little bit better what we're actually working on, which problems are out of our reach, why they're out of our reach. So I would highly recommend that. The thing with AI right now, it is moving so fast. I mean, we're coming up with techniques internally here that don't even have names. And then two weeks later, somebody writes a paper and they give it a name. So honestly, the, the best resource I've seen is LinkedIn is just being to connect as, to as many folks as possible. I mean, there are a lot of individuals just putting out papers on this stuff, which to me is the most useful. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, we obviously are, we do this full time and it's hard to keep up. But I mean, the fact that you're here, I consider an honor to have you here, Brad. And the fact you're here means we siphon through a lot of options and we're really looking for the most relevant. And I think what you're develop what you have developed and what you're putting out there. And that now after getting to know you, you're going to be staying ahead of the curve. You are one of those resources for us now and hopefully many, many of our listeners as well. So it's really Yeah. So follow me on LinkedIn. I try to put out useful content when I can. Hello again, AI Explorers. Thank you for staying with us on this rocket ship. Your thoughts matter to us, so share what you enjoy most about Edge of AI and what you crave more of on our socials at edgeof underscore AI. Your insights shape our content and guest choices, so thank you for being with us today. On to the next segment. Fantastic. Anything we didn't cover on sort of cool ways to use AI, even outside of your company and what's going on, just in general, personal use? One of the most amazing use cases I've seen, which we, we've built on and others have, is is the ability to go through large corpuses of documents, whether they're your own apartment rental agreements, your bank loan documents, your vendor agreements, you can have an AI 
you can ask a question and, and literally have it go through a thousand documents and find exactly what you're looking for. I mean, that is so powerful in so many different industries. So that's one I'm very excited about. We built yeah. an enterprise tool around this and I am just shocked every time we use it that this is possible. All right, fantastic. So we're going to head toward closing. You mentioned LinkedIn. Give us an idea of the best places to track what you're up to and what you're doing. Yeah, I'm just Brad Schneider, forward slash in, forward slash Brad Schneider on LinkedIn. That's sort of the best place to connect with me. I like a lot of content from people I believe to be AI thought leaders. So connect with me and you'll be able to see some of those folks and then connect with them directly. That's just where I see all of these papers being posted. I don't know a better place right now than that. So fantastic, Brad. I can't thank you enough for taking the time out to do this for us and all of our listeners. For me, it's personally been really fantastic. But now it's time for another safe landing at the outer edges of the AI universe for today. This is your captain, Ron Levy. And on behalf of our guests and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for choosing to voyage with us today. We wish you a safe and enjoyable continuation of your journey. When you come back aboard, make sure to bring a friend. Our starship is always ready for more adventures. Head over to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and share your thoughts, your support and feedback that means the world to us. And don't forget to visit edgeofai.xyz to learn more. Connect with us on all the major social platforms by searching for edge of underscore AI. Join the exciting conversations that are happening online. Before we sign off, mark your calendars for our next voyage, where we'll continue to unravel the mysteries and advancements of AI. Until then, bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of AI reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. While we make every effort to ensure that the information about AI technology is accurate and up-to-date, we cannot guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or timeliness. We make no representations or warranties of any kind with respect to the information, products, or services discussed. Please be aware AI may occasionally generate incorrect or misleading information and produce offensive or biased content. Under no circumstances shall we be liable for any loss or damage, including without limitation, indirect or consequential loss or damage, or any loss or damage arising from loss of data or profits arising out of or in connection with the use of technology discussed on our podcast. Additionally, our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. Lastly, time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of these links. Refer to our website, edgeofai.xyz, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, privacy policy, and copyright notice.